Welcome to Refactor This, sponsored by vFunction. In each episode, we talk application modernization tools, concepts, and advice with industry experts. My name is Oliver White, and today I'm joined by Bruno Borges. Bruno is a principal product manager at Microsoft, as well as a well-known Java champion, frequent conference speaker, at least in the past, and an outspoken thought leader on YAML configuration. I've been happy to know Bruno for over a decade now, and I'm really excited to talk with him today about software modernization, best practices, tools, and share some stories. Bruno, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, Oliver, thanks for having me. So uh, sounds exciting, and uh, it's going to be cool to talk about all these things with you. Yeah, it's great to catch up again. So for anyone out there who may not know you, you know, what's your 50-word bio? How do you describe your background and what you do as a job to people who maybe aren't in the software industry? Oh, I was a Java developer, full-time Java developer from 2000 until around 2012. And then I became a part-time Java developer because I got into this product management role slash DevRel slash troublemaker <laughs> um, uh, roles starting at Oracle again back in 2012. And then in 2018, I joined Microsoft in similar capacities and roles involved in product development, uh, developer outreach uh, efforts. So still with Java, right? My focus has always been Java. I learned Java back in 2000. And, and since then, that has been my primary language with JavaScript and web development languages as a second secondary um, effort. And um, over the over all these years, yeah, building brand new applications, but also transforming existing applications or modernizing existing applications, I would say, has always been uh, something that I would touch with either directly for the applications that I was working with or with customers, especially when I was at Oracle and now here at Microsoft. So yeah, I learned a few things and uh, very happy to share what I've learned and also confirm if I've learned the right way or the wrong way and we can, <laughs> we can discuss. I mean, it's a, it's a learning journey all the time. Well, if you started with Java back in 2000, you know, what you were doing back then, it's probably a bit different than what you're doing with Java now. When it comes to actually doing modernization efforts or projects or refactoring, do you have any success or horror stories to share? Yeah, I, I remember this uh, big financial application where the bank was using a Java EE application servers. It was WebLogic, Oracle WebLogic at the time. And this system was developed in a way that could not be migrated to any other application server, not even major, new major versions of WebLogic because it was so tied up to that particular WebLogic version that any modernization was simply impractical, right, to do. So a lot of it required just, you know, rewriting the actual application uh, pretty much from scratch. So that was a big challenge in, uh, as far as I know, until the last time I spoke to some friends working on that project, uh, and that was back in 2010. I spoke to a few friends around 2015, and they've told me at that time, 
Oh, Bruno, it's still this way. <laughs> and uh, and I'm I'm sure they are you know, five, seven more years, you know, from 2015. I wonder where they are today. And uh, <laughs> I would not be surprised if they are still on the same place. Well, would you believe that we actually have those developers on the line right now? Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I hope I hope you guys are still having fun uh, somehow. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there are. I like to say there are two types of developers, developers who, who love technology and love to learn brand new technologies and really get excited about uh, evolving all the time. But there are the other type of developer who just wants to get the job done, get the paycheck and go home for their families and friends and hobbies. You know, they, they take the, the software development discipline as just a regular job, you know, not something that they have to leave and breathe outside work hours. So uh, it's totally fair, totally fine. And uh, if, hey, if the system is still working and scales and for somehow it does what it needs to do, I mean, it's all good, you know? So no no problem with that. The question really becomes, what are the missed opportunities for both the company and also the, the those employees? Because uh, application modernization to me is an opportunity for the company to recover opportunity cost and uh, or don't miss opportunity cost right right to and and for developers take advantage to, of it yeah yeah exactly and for developers is is it's about learning new technology so they don't get stuck on their resumes they don't get stuck on job opportunities because you know what what if you leave these companies that are stuck in very old technologies and one day you're in the market trying to find a new job and you know you don't know the new stuff so um, application modernization is something that really touches you know, business needs, but also individual needs uh, and individual developers' needs. So uh, it, it's good for both. And, and I think that's, a, that's also a, a tricky trade-off because some developers want to modernize at any cost and the right. company doesn't see any benefit from that. And uh, how does that feel for the company? You know, uh, they're just spending time and money on modernizing applications without actually true benefits for the company, for the business, that's also a bad thing, right? So it's a very tricky trade-off that needs to be balanced between individual interest and their business interest. Yeah, absolutely. So just jumping back a minute, you mentioned beginning a modernization process back in 2010. And then when you checked in five years later, the reality is that very much was still the same. Yeah, very much still the same. Yeah, they were not able to actually, you know, transform uh, because mm-hmm. the application was so hard coded in a way that several things could not be done because of that. So I'll give one little technical detail. I don't want to dive in, but uh, <laughs> for Java developers who know about Hibernate, the persistence framework, all the libraries of the application were being loaded in the boot class path of the JVM not as part of a regular application deployed to WebLogic. It was all part of the boot class path. So uh, very tied up with the way that WebLogic starts and JVM starts. And uh, even the order of the compilation of the project was quite difficult because there were several circular dependencies. And uh, it was just a like nightmare. And uh, that's what has been holding that team back from, from modernizing their application. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if this would be surprising to you, but we recently did a survey with uh, 250 senior IT leaders, and the criteria is that they were working with a 
monolithic application that was at least 10 years old. I think the average was 15 to 17 years. And they were working in a company that had over 5,000 employees. So this is kind of the higher enterprise level. And the feedback is actually aligning very closely to what you just described. Among these 250 people, they reported that 79% of their modernization projects ultimately failed. And the average cost was $1.5 million and 16 months of work days. So after hearing your story, this may not be much of a surprise to you, but uh, what, do you, what do you think about that? I am surprised. I am surprised that the, the amount is actually low. <laughs> I, was, I was expecting a lot more. Um, but That's the again, average. Based, That's the average. Yeah, 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 true. Uh, is that the average or the medium? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll have to check. <laughs> so yeah, I think uh, modernization cost is, it's really difficult to modernize applications knowing the outcome. You don't know the outcome. You don't know. It's an unknown unknown when you're going to modernize an application. You don't know what you're going to find out during that transformation process, which is why application modernization to me is, uh, it should be an effort of several stages. It should be about how do I update my application? I mean, keep the architecture as is, but I want to update the application. I want to update the components that can be updated and will bring some benefits. So uh, uh, for a start, for Java applications, upgrade to the latest JVM version or the JDK version, right? About the uh, um, framework libraries, update the latest versions of whatever framework that is being used, whatever libraries are being used. So the application can benefit from new enhancements, especially performance enhancements that will make the application faster and therefore cost less. Uh, in so what if you're running uh, software versions that are not compatible with the latest versions of what you would like to have? Do you just go to the latest possible version or? You go, oh yeah, yeah. You go to the latest possible version, you know, whatever you can upgrade, upgrade. If you cannot upgrade for some reason, try to identify what is holding back and then see if you can refactor those uh, parts. So then you can upgrade. If you cannot refactor or the refactoring effort will be so, so hard, you know, you, the developer looks at those migration guides of frameworks. Oh, to move from framework X to version next version, major version, you have to change this, 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 and this. And then you make those changes, it still doesn't work. So now you're stuck. You have to go into debug mode and try to figure out what's wrong. So once the team spends some time on that effort and still doesn't find success, you have to come to this decision point where do we give up on this upgrade or do we try a different approach? And the different approach to me, my view, would be to extract that functionality from the system and expose that as a separate component in the system, literally exposing it as an API so that the original core system consumes that functionality through an external API instead of a function within the application itself. So now you're starting about starting to break down your monolithic application into something else. And I think at that point, just by doing one component like that, the team will learn a lot. The team will learn a lot about the application architecture itself. It will learn about 
uh, a lot about all the deployment models that might be available, whether on-prem or in the cloud, if the application is in their transition, in its transition to the cloud. And also learn a lot about processes, because I think processes for team management, you know, source code control, CI, CD, security, all of that will have an impact on that particular phase when you start breaking down to external components. But once the team is able to do one, they can do more, right? They have learned all the necessary steps. They have executed, they have succeeded, hopefully. And now it's a matter of time to get more components out of that monolithic structure into something that they can more easily manage and refactor. Yeah, you seem to have described a slightly um, a step-by-step approach by which you're looking for the core problem First, you described, you know, upgrade whatever frameworks and JDK versions you can, you know, and if something stops you, look deeper into that, see what the the blockade is, and then kind of move on to more deeper kind of code analysis, extraction, and so on. And it reminds me of the terms that are that we're using these days, migration and modernization. So the yeah there, to me those two terms we, there's a difference me, that we like to that we would like to define a little bit and I wanted to you know what's what's your opinion on migration versus modernization and they are different yeah they're different people like to say I'm oh I'm gonna migrate slash modernize uh, no you're gonna either migrate or modernize you know migration modernization are two different things I mean you're gonna migrate migration to me is about migration it's about moving to something to something else from something to something else. And modernization is transforming how things are done. So for example, application modernization, I'm gonna move to the cloud. That to me is an application migration. It can be done as a lift and shift. You keep running as is. So you can sell your hardware in the data center and you go from KPEX to OPEX model. So you're you're just literally selling your hardware and you're gonna rent VMs in the cloud. That means a migration, right? It's lift and shift as is. I'm going to migrate from a relational database that I manage myself to a database that is managed by the cloud vendor. Uh, That means a migration. The application is not transforming. It's not modernizing. Maybe you could argue that the architecture or the system is modernizing because now you are using a Postgres database managed by the cloud vendor. Well, it's still a Postgres database managed by someone else, which you are still paying, hosted on someone else's computer, which you are still paying. So that to me is a, a, just a, like a migration. Modernization starts when, to me, again, uh, it starts when the application goes from using a, a single relational database to also using Redis Cache, to also using a NoSQL database, to also using a data that is hosted somewhere else that you know the application doesn't doesn't have to hold anymore so that to me is transformation like the application actually changes the code changes so when that happens um okay here's the tricky question is moving from java 11 to java 17 a migration or modernization well that's a good question based on what you've described i would suggest that's more of a migration because to me to me, the it's more modernization. The, the business logic itself is not being 
altered in a way to better embrace a cloud architecture, for example, right? True, true. Functional requirements are not changing, but non-functional requirements are changing, um, especially for because of the language runtime. And here's why. When the application is running with Java 11, the application has a specific performance because it runs on a, job, on, on a JVM. And the JVM is a runtime, a very critical runtime part of the technology stack used by the application. So to me, this is arguably an opinionated right, definition. Certainly, there, it's not written in any book, which if it's a migration organization. To me, it's a modernization. And here's why I think of that. When you move from Java 8 to Java 11 or Java 8 to 17 or even Java 11 to 17, you're changing the language runtime. You are literally transforming your application. I know it's under the hood. I know it's just an engine, but it's a very different engine. It comes with different performance enhancements. It comes with different garbage collectors. And garbage collection is critical to Java applications. The behavior of the system may change based on which garbage collector is selected for the runtime. So the application may have a particular throughput and latency with one Java version versus another Java version. And throughput and latency are non-functional requirements that are still important for the application for performance-wise. They certainly affect the functional requirements. It can affect functional requirements. Exactly. That's true. That's true. And ultimately, it can affect cost of the application, especially when you move that to the cloud. So that, to me, is modernization, Mm -hmm. non-migration. Hmm. Because it changes the application truly. The application, I mean, I gave the example of the database. The application doesn't change when you move the database from on-prem to the cloud. As long as the database is still connected to the like, network and the latency is similar to on-prem, which hopefully it is, or even better, right? But the database is still better. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, ideally better. So that won't change the the application, because it's it's another thing. But the runtime, the language runtime, whether it's Java, Node, .NET, you know, C++, even C++, you use a different compiler, you got a different, a different version of the C++ compiler, you got a different version, a different binary for your application. So that to me uh, is modernization. Uh, but again, arguably, right? We, we can spend the whole day. Yeah, day. it's it's in a bit of uh, in a bit of a gray area. Yeah. And same, same thing for libraries and frameworks. I would say they are more like modernization as well. Because again, they may introduce new enhancements that may affect the behavior of the application. And they do provide new features that developers may be able to leverage without too much trouble or with a lot of trouble. But the benefits may be extremely good for the system and for the business. So that's why, to me, upgrading, upgrade of languages, frameworks, and runtimes, to me, are part of application modernization. Migration is really like, where is this thing running? Like, where is it hosted? Right. Right. So perhaps there's there's a spectrum in which the developers and architects working with the application will have to be involved. So let's say upgrading from struts one to struts two probably has not a huge, I'm, well, I'm supposing it has a, let's say, relatively minor impact on the on the business logic of the application itself. So if, so if an organization wants to upgrade from Java 8 to Java 17, how much impact does that have on the developers and how they're writing code? 
do they have to do a lot of a lot of interaction or a lot of let's say refactoring or replatforming activities in order to make it work or is it a little bit uh automated let's say it depends that's the answer it, it right? depends yeah. it depends okay. i mean i've coded a lot with struts and i can tell you it, it can be super easy to move it can be super hard it's all it all depends like on the level of customizations and uh flows that are available that are present in the system that yeah the, it can be it can be super easy and can be also impossible you know i i've seen i've done i've seen and i've done customizations within struts that would require rewriting those things from scratch for Struts 2 mm -hmm. because there was no migration path or modernization path from one to another. So yeah, it's tricky. I think it's the kind of journey that you'll only find out what you need when you go into it. It's it's not like going camping. When you go camping, you can tell, oh, I'm going to need this, this, and this. And, and you bring your backpack with everything that you you know you will need for camping. I'm going to need a tent. I'm going to need a, a, a bottle of water. I'm going to need some some snacks and uh, a hatch or, you know, a, some ropes, whatever. When you, <laughs> we need when a you go, <laughs> Yeah. When you go migration modernization path, you really don't know what you're going to need uh, until you are already kind of halfway through. And then you start finding out, like, oh, oh this is what I need. And then you're already like, okay, I've spent so many weeks now. Should I spend more days to find out the next steps or do I, you know, just go back? Yeah, it's it's hard. And no, again, no, not, not surprising that we heard those executives saying, this is how much money we spent and how much time we spent in these efforts. And most of them fail because it is hard, which is why so many are so concerned about hitting the right architecture from day one. They want to design this idea of perfect systems because they they have scars, right? <laughs> they they have scars from different from old from previous systems where oh we developed this way without thinking too much and now this system is stuck and we cannot modernize or we cannot migrate to the cloud or we cannot do this and that. So um, yeah, no wonder. People are so obsessed with the perfect architecture design that, in a way, that the application can upgrade, modernize, migrate, all those good stuff in the near future. So as we wind down a little bit here, imagine I, I came to you and I said, Bruno, I've got this 20-year-old Java EE6 app. It's got 20 million lines of code. 15,000 classes, what should I do with this? What's a design concept or a, a paradigm you would recommend for getting started? Or tool, uh, tools or technologies? We talked about upgrading you know, what we've got, but let's say we need to go a step further. You know, what, would you, what would you tell me? Well, first question I would say is, would have is, is it sufficient for the business needs today? Right. Well, and we don't, we, we aren't able to deploy regularly. Testing takes a really long time. Whenever we hire new developers, it takes them six months to even understand what half of the system is doing. And it's honestly having an effect on employee morale. You know, there's a lot all of those, all there. those good points that we just spoke about. Yeah. yeah. You know, honestly, it's, it's our main business system, but 
it's very challenging to work with and we don't see that as being sustainable for the future we want to embrace the cloud in some way you know what's a design pattern or a paradigm that we can embrace to get started with i think i touched that before where you know you try to find a piece of the system that you you find okay this is an interesting piece that we could externalize as an independent service uh, as a separate independent feature of the system overall that can be extracted from the monolithic application and then deployed independently so it can evolve independently. I think that to me would be like, once you hit that point, yep, there's nothing else we can do. We are already running the latest versions of whatever we can. And this system is now is got to a point where it is stuck. There's nothing else to do here other than just provide like maintenance, you know, minor patches here and there and uh, adjust business logics to whatever the business needs and and whatnot. So when that point is, is met, I think the next step is to break it down, to break it down in, into uh, external pieces because it's really hard to transform a monolithic application, uh, uh, truly. It basically means rewriting the whole thing, but nobody wants to rewrite a huge monolithic application from scratch. That by itself, is a 16-month, $1.5 million at least effort, right? So nobody wants to go that path, or they try to avoid as much as possible. So, so the best thing is to break it down, you know, extract a component. Oh, you have a component for user account management. Sure, deploy that as a separate application. Uh, oh, you, it's a Java application server? Okay, deploy as a separate web application. You know, you get like a war file, okay, break it down extract that here's a war file that's just for user account management boom and then you you work on the application server to reroute the urls and and do session data sharing between applications that's what the java application service can do so now you have a, you have this huge monolithic system but at least one part is deployed separately now if you can do that that means you can do the other things as well so you start breaking it down into several multiple applications I mean, Java EE applications, even at the beginning, they developers were able to develop monolithic systems, but with modules inside. So like an EAR file, an enterprise archive could have multiple WAR files inside, right, for multiple web applications. So even at that time, developers could do that already, but not many would do because it's hard to achieve that level of integration. Not impossible, but just a little bit harder. So I think going that path at the beginning would be a good. And then the next step is like, okay, uh, my monolithic application is broken down. I have a few applications here and there, but I'm still deploying them uh, in an application server. How can I deploy them truly independently so I don't have even to rely on the application server? And then now you're starting to think about, okay, how do I make this as a self-independent, self-contained application that the server comes with the application, like, you know, Spring Boot, Fat Jars, when Tomcat is embedded in the application so that, you know, the application can just do like Java minus jar, here's my, my jar file and, and just runs. And then you can start containerizing that application. Then you can start moving that to a container orchestration approach. And then you can start replicating that for better load if, uh, if that is the, the need. Or you have actually fat vertical scaling containers because you know maybe for some reason that application behaves much better if it has more memory so i think it is a long journey 
but developers have to go through several steps to reach that point. And uh, I'm sure you can say, well, there are tools out there that can help you break down applications. And I can say, well, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they help. But even to reach that point of using tools that can automate the breakdown of monolithic applications, it's important that developers go through at least a little bit of that journey so then they can find what is needed, what is important, what are the benefits, you know, and then they can say, oh, this is great. We want to do this, but we want to do this with automated fashion, or we want to do this at scale. Then they go to tools and services that can help them break down those gigantic applications in a much easier and faster way. Well, with that uh, ray of hope directed towards monolithic applications, do you have any career advice for senior developers still working with aging applications and and frameworks, as well as brand new developers that might be asked to look into a 20 million line of code Java EE6 app uh, on their on day one, what would you tell them? So I'm wearing a Star Wars t-shirt, so I can say there's a new hope. (laughs) (laughs) But I think uh, I'll repeat a bit of what I said before. Hey, if you're a developer working on those kind of applications, but you're okay with your job and your paycheck and what you really want is to just go home to your family and kids and friends and hobbies and whatever. And for some reason you end up ended up in this podcast because some friend of yours recommended to you. Uh, It's all good, mate. Don't worry. You know, just keep doing your job. It's all good. Let somebody else worry about that and they will tell you what to do, what next. It's all, it's all okay. But if you are the kind of person that is really, really interested in, in, in passionate about, you know, new technologies and, and getting involved in defining new approaches or methodologies and new next steps for the system that you work with, I think there is a lot to learn and uh, there's a lot to try. And I think that the, the try thing is critical. It's all about trying. You know, you got you got the system and you ask your boss, hey, can I spend Fridays trying to change this thing to use the latest version of Java? And then your boss may say, nope, I don't want you to spend any time doing that. I guess the next step is to tell your boss what are the likely benefits of doing that. We've seen applications moving from Java 8 to Java 11 or, or Java 17 getting like a anywhere between 10 to 60% performance improvements. Hmm. So if you, if you can tell your boss that, hey, if we move this thing to Java 17, we're going to need half the resources. We will need half VMs just by moving to the latest version of Java. Your boss will find that extremely interesting because now they can deploy new systems without having to provision new hardware or new VMs in the cloud. So that is a huge cost benefit, moving to new versions of the Java runtime and libraries and frameworks. So yeah, I think that there, is, there are like baby steps that can be taken by developers in those situations that they can then show to their leadership and say, hey, there is a lot of benefits that we can have here if we go down this path. And we can just buy, we can just take these little steps, you know. I, I saw this comment on Reddit a while ago. I, I somebody said, "Oh, I'm stuck on Java 8. and I'm like, "Why? Why you don't move to Java 11? And the, the response was, "They were not able to convince leadership of the benefits." Yeah, making the business case to modernize is something that we hear a lot about, and it's, yeah. it's tough. 
I would be remiss if I didn't mention that we have a, a tool called V Function Assessment Hub that lets you actually make a business case very rapidly, you know, small pitch by our sponsor there. But yeah, the challenge of getting executive backing for a modernization project is bereft of support in many cases because of the, the cost, the risk, the fear of breaking something down the road. All of those factors come in, we've seen. Exactly. And I, and I think that's that to me is one of the biggest impacts in morale of employees. You know, when an employee mm. comes with, with some ideas, oh, let's modernize this thing. Here are the benefits, and then leadership is like, yeah, whatever, yeah, not interested. Yeah, and the employee feels extremely demotivated, right? So I think, I mean, that's a problem of leadership, you know, which is actually the opposite of the word leadership. But I feel like, <laughs> I feel like there's nothing to be done in that case. I think the best that you can do is just continue learning, and you know, the reality is, go find a new job because that place is stuck, and leadership doesn't want to change because it's good enough for them. And we've seen that. We've seen several companies who have systems and they're like, no, it's good as it is. No, we are fine. Doesn't need to go faster. Doesn't need to go to the latest. In fact, we don't want to touch this system because even maybe the system is not even that critical. So if the system fails, okay, whatever. We will go back to doing manually. Okay. And it's true. So, so really finding the business case is the, the hardest part of modernization efforts. And then the second part is finding the resources to do it. <laughs> the third part is actually doing it, which yeah. is which may be hard, maybe not. So but the business case is still like the biggest biggest hassle of uh, of developers. So to those developers, yeah, keep trying. Keep trying. Find the benefits, find the the reasons to do that and even use the the employee morale thing. If you are a team manager, Right, a team lead, go to your leadership and say, hey, my team has low morale because they are stuck on this technology and we're going to start losing employees and we're going to start losing the great developers who are critical to other systems. And we need to modernize something so they can get to learn new technologies, they can get to experiment new things, and uh, it's going to be good for the business, it's going to be good for employee morale. I mean, employee morale is good for the business. In general, absolutely, right? absolutely, it is by itself. So, uh, yeah, if you're a team lead, yeah, work on that paper, write, write a three page document saying why you need that and putting words and charts. It's nice. <laughs> All right, well, Bruno, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Uh, I really hope we get to meet again in person sometime. Not sure when that will happen. And uh, that brings us to the end of our podcast. But for anyone who wants to have a little bit of fun at the end, I'm going to ask Bruno some lightning round questions. And let's see if he's ready for that. We're calling this the lightning round. I've borrowed this from some of my favorite podcasts out there. Uh, what is one of okay. your favorite comfort foods? Comfort food. Mm. Ice cream. Ice cream. Nice. What's one book you feel like everyone should read? The Mythical Man Month. Very nice. What do you do to stay healthy? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I play with my kids. That gives me mental health. I enjoy my time with my wife. And to me, mental health is as critical as physical health. On the physical health, I'm not doing my best. But on the mental health, I would say I'm through the roof. 
Well, they call it uh, COVID-15. <laughs> Possibly. What is the last song that you listened to? I'm not sure if it's exactly the last song, but it's the one that comes to my mind. So my kids are always asking me to play uh, No Roots. I don't know who's the band uh, or singer. I think it's a singer. I have it. I have it on my on my top of my playlist on Spotify because uh, my kids ask me from Alice Merton. Hmm. The, the name of the song is No Roots, and uh, I know the lyric is interesting. It says the first part is like I like digging holes and hiding things inside them. When I grow old, I hope I won't forget to find them because I've got memories and travel like gypsies in the night. And uh, I've got no roots, but my home was never on the ground. So it's like, it's interesting. I, I like the lyric because, uh, you know, you're a traveler, you're in, in this world and you're not stuck in any place. And to me, I mean, I'm, I'm from Brazil. I've lived in California and now I live in Vancouver. And it's like, yeah, I've got no roots, man. <laughs> I am just, just out there. Final question. Would you ever allow a robot to perform dental hygiene on you? Why or why not? Yeah, definitely not. All right. Why not? I think I would rather fight another human arm than a robotic arm. I think I could win fighting another human arm, not a robotic arm, ever. So you're, you're used to going to the dentist and, and fighting with the uh, hygienist. That's my hobby. Yes, okay. I go to dentists to fight them. That's exactly <laughs> what I do. When I'm stressed out, burned out, I schedule an appointment at my dentist and I go there and I fight them. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not a super fan of AI and robots that have human interaction in ways that can harm humans. All right. Well, Bruno, again, it's been great catching up. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, uh, man. Hey, this was fun. We should yeah, do this, this again. was a lot of fun. Hope to talk to you soon. All right. Take care, man.